Welcome to the Aikidojo Podcast. I am David Ito, Chief Instructor of the Aikido Center of Los Angeles. And with me is... Mike Van Ruth, Aikido Fourth Don, Yaido Fourth Don. And Bill D'Angelo, Aikido Fourth Don. So I think we have another listener question. We do, Sensei. Today we have a listener question from Chris, whose question is... Um, what is it, what is a student of traditional martial arts, or what does it mean to be a student of traditional martial arts? Hmm, that's an interesting that's an interesting question. Like I think you know, we've talked about what, you know what it means to be a teacher. We've talked about effectiveness, but we haven't really talked about what it means to be a student. And largely, most people are students of the martial art. Even a teacher is a student of the martial art, but mm-hmm. largely most people are more students than they are teachers. Right. So that's a, that's a it's a very good question and I think that it really comes down to an understanding of what it means to be a student. Not so much, I mean, and and all of us have been students in our lives. We've all been through kindergarten, grade school, high school, some of us have done college, grad school, professional mm-hmm. school. So everyone can get a toehold on the idea of the basic being a student. That's true. But in the martial arts, there's a whole other tangent to it. Absolutely. <laughs> so maybe we explore what it is that is the next level. But all I'm saying is, is that the, the general idea of student, people can, can grasp. And maybe we could start with that. Like, what is, what is the basic idea of student before we jump into what the next level is? What, what do you think, Sensei, the basic idea of being a student is? Because you like to talk about basics. I know for you, basics is everything. So what is the basics of, of being a student? Well, what they say is the, the best student does the right thing at the right time. Hmm. But then that's... I mean, what, that's, what does that mean? <laughs> and that is open to interpretation. So, you know, like... I guess we can. I can tell two different stories. So at this dojo, we have Watanabe Sensei and me. So Watanabe Sensei is the quintessential traditional martial arts student, and I am the modern martial arts student. Okay. Um, but they, he has a set of skills that I don't have, and I have a set of skills that he doesn't have. Okay. So I'm not really even sure if you can have someone who has both. Because to be dogmatic, you have to be dogmatic, and can't think, and, you know, and, and your your creativity is a different thing. But then, you, if the modern student is more creative, and has a different idea than a traditional student, the quote unquote traditional student. So when you say dogmatic, how what do you think the qualities of, of the very traditional? Because I think you're setting up this idea that there's these at least these two different categories. So for someone who's really maybe coming to this and doesn't have a lot of experience, what 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 are the qualities that you would put in the camp that Watanabe has? Uh, and what would those qualities be? Well, see, a traditional student, if you think about this idea of shu hari, shu stage, you memor it's all memorization and rote. The ha stage is about details, and the re stage is the breaking the mold and kind of creating creating certain things. Most people today want to jump right to that restage. Right. They, Americans don't ever want to be in the shoe stage mm-hmm. of of rote learning. They just want to. They don't want to learn it by rote. They want to. They want to know why. Well, yeah, that was what, uh, that's where I was thinking is is that w- when you get new students coming into our school, you often get into this circular round of questioning. Well, what if I do this? Or why are you doing it that way? And. Uh, 
You're not. You're not even there yet. So let's hop, talk about <laughs> well, moving your feet. It's, but, it, but, it, but it's also, you know, to be fair to the new student, they're coming from a intellectual tradition of questioning, where it's 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 a Western philosophical system where they're taught how to learn that way. So they're coming. This is why I think this is a very good discussion of what it means to be a student in traditional martial arts. You have two different learning systems. And the Western student's not wrong. They're just, it's just that that system is not the same system as a Japanese martial art. No, I mean, Japanese close. philosophical systems are not the same as Japanese martial arts systems. So maybe we could get into, because you're, you're, you're talking about Watanabe and the dogmatic system, what are the basic building blocks that when you, when you come in to learn Aikido at our school, which is a very traditional school, for the for the first I don't know ten years fifteen years, what do you what is what are the good things for you to do that will help you learn as a student to be a good student? And I use I put good in quotes because I I try to be very not judgmental about this, but well that's the thing is it comes back to this idea of a hive mind, right? There are no individuals in Japanese culture. Right. Right. Only like the pop stars and and film people, like only the famous and rich people are individuals. Wealthy, ri rich, royalty. Everyone else is part of a, a collective. Group. Right. So anything that you do which harms the collective makes you a bad student. So, for instance, like if you say, um, I want to dye my hair blue. Right. I'm a student and I want to dye my hair blue. In a traditional setting or in the Fru Sensei's method, no. You get that, you dye your hair blue, get out of here. Because your blue hair would distract the other students or cause a craze where everyone's dyeing their hair blue and then you're kind of moving away from this traditional style of learning, right? And so this, the seniors are always supposed to be calling the juniors and being able to develop this, this um, perfect setting for people to learn martial arts, tea ceremony, ikebana, or something like that. So all the, anything that you would do which is out of the box or outside of what everyone else is doing is frowned upon. Okay. And so when you think about like this idea of the amount of time between when the teacher says Bill and then you say hi is, is supposed to be the measure of your ego. So when the teacher calls you, you're supposed to say hi right away and then, you know, come come forward or come running or whatever it is but if you don't then see how like that hurts the collective because then everyone else thinks that they can just um not answer quickly and come up quickly or anything like that domino effect it's a domino effect and so everything is this idea that you know um you know like we're when i was a student we weren't allowed to do like adventure sports we weren't allowed to do anything but aikido mm -hmm. if sensei found out that you did something other than aikido he would just ignore you or he would kick you out you know so we're, we're talking about this idea we weren't allowed to do like adventure sports we skiing, weren't don't do skiing don't do skiing don't do you know i remember one of the students um hurt his ankle doing basketball and then he's at the dojo limping along ankle taped up and you know since he just gets just being mad at him but he, that person's still training that person didn't take their three weeks off to heal their ankle Right? And so there's this idea that you can't, 
you, you, you have to be completely devoted to your training as a traditional student. You know, Watanabe Sensei trained seven days a week for 17 or 18 years. Seven days a week. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. V missed very, very few days, took very few vacations, right? So that this idea that you, you, you have to be devoted to your training, but what does that mean? And so when we think about the studies between me and Watanabe Sensei, like he came seven days a week for 18 years. I would be, I can't remember the days where he took a day off intentionally. Yeah. You know, there's might have been a day he slept in or something like that. But for me, I took days off all the time. Right. But you can't go by me as the modern student. Well, I guess you can't really even say that I'm like a modern student because I'm very autodidacting. So it's unfair to, to compare um, a modern student uh, versus me, not because I'm great. It's because I have a natural talent that most people can't, don't have, which is I'm autodidacting. You know, so like when I was, before I turned one years old, I taught myself to walk, talk, pee, and poop. My parents just opened the door and I was going to the bathroom. They just looked over and I was walking past the, the door. <laughs> and they just heard me talking. And they're like, whoa, what? So they didn't like go, you know, this is how you do this thing. They just, all of a sudden I was walking. All of a sudden I was talking. And I wasn't even one years old yet. Dang. Right. And so I'm very good at, at Mira and I Keiko, watching and observing and copying. Right. Right. So you, that's why it's like, it's hard, it's hard to compare me versus, uh, a modern student. But what about, so, so I'm just trying to think of like, the, being the student, um, whether it's Watanabe's style or your style, you come into the dojo, you're training traditional martial arts. It's not like Western style. So you can't, like you, you watch class, the teacher demonstrates a technique. The style is not to say, excuse me, Mr. You know, sensei, why are you doing it like this? How how does the student prepare coming to class um, mentally to receive the training? Like, what what should the what should the mental preparation be for a student to be able to maximize their training? Well, th that's the men the mental preparation that a student has to have is you have to, again that shoe stage wrote don't think about it just do it and most people like i said they don't they can't just do that they want to know why right so you say oh this is you bow here because of this oh, okay but if i said bow like i don't care i'm not gonna bow but i say oh we bow to you know to show respect for this person so that's why we bow oh okay I, i'm i'm perfectly fine with bowing but if i would just to say bow now bow that person might go I'm not doing that. So is the enemy judgment? It, it, well, the enemy is not so much judgment, but the lack of understanding of how the of a traditional system. So that's why we're, you know I use me, me and Watanabe Sensei as two different types of students. Like I struggled a lot as a student because I didn't understand the traditional Japanese culture. So I would be like, why are these people beating me up? Why are these people doing this thing to me? And then. You know, in my mind, like, I, they were beating me up. And so I said, all right, I'm going to get strong and I'm going to beat them up. So one of the things I did for the first two years of my training is I, I lifted weights. So the first, at least for the first two years of training, I trained outside of class 15 to 20 hours a week in the gym. Yeah. Lifting weights and doing cardio. 
So I did a ton of cardio. Um, I rode my bike to school and back every day, which is two hours, an hour there, an hour back. So Dang. I did two hours of cardio five days a week. On top of that, I went to the gym every day before Aikido, sometimes after Aikido. So that's what I'm saying. Like I trained sometimes, I don't know, 10 to 20 hours of right. extra extra exercise in order because I, in my mind, I was like, they're beating me up. I'm going to get to a place where I can beat them up. Right. They can beat me up with the technique, but I'm going to beat them up with the cardio. And then one day, I was like this, stretching over my head. And one of the students went, dude, do you lift weights? And I go, yeah. And they go, oh, man, no wonder you suck. <laughs> Damn. You, you're all, you're like, you're like trying to throw a, a robot or a rock person. And then the whole group was just, just crumbed on me for like the whole meal about me lifting weights. Sensei, this person, that oh, you're lifting weights. I can't believe you're Oh, what a waste of time. You're never going to get good at Aikido. And I was just like, okay. And then I just, at that point, I stopped lifting weights. I missed a little bit. And then I just did, but I still did a ton of cardio. But it was frowned upon to do, to w lift weights, but I still did it. It was frowned upon. Like one time I went to dinner with everyone and, um, they all got like steak or chicken or something like or fish, and then they're like, "Who got the 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 salad?" And I go, "That's me." And then it's, it's the whole the whole table. Oh my god, you're eating a salad? What are you, a bird? And just making fun of me the whole time. And so I, you know, I was like, it was a pain in the butt to order a salad. I remember we would go to we would go to um, Japanese food. Everybody would order ramen, and I would order chicken teriyaki and just eat the chicken. And then one time we were eating lunch. Their ramen came out fast. My chicken teriyaki came out slow. And then they finished their food really quickly, got up, and then they said, we'll be at the supermarket. And they just left. My food hadn't even come out yet. And I was all, damn. That's one of those rules. You don't want to order something different because the way the orders come out, you don't want to be that last guy standing. So what <laughs> what, what did you take away from that as a student? I, I the, They all hate me. I thought... I thought until even after Sensei's death that he hated me because every time I did something, it was, I, was, I was scolded and it was frowned upon. Oh, you ordered the chicken teriyaki? Everyone else ordered ramen. Okay, we're just going to leave you. Oh, you ordered a salad? You, you're not going to eat the rice? Sensei told me. He's like, you have to eat a ramen-sized bowl of rice every day. And I was like, there is absolutely no way I was going to do that. That's yeah, way too many carbs. <laughs> but he told me like to, to gain more weight because I'm too small. And I was like, have you seen the size of these pythons? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I thought they just hated me. So because everyone treated me so poorly and everything I did was wrong. And it's not, it's not like I was in the middle of the class going, excuse me, Sensei, I have a question. That We're not even talking about that. We're talking about just the things that you do in your daily life since it would say, would make a comment. And then you'd be like, I guess I don't do that anymore. Yeah. You know, and so it was really, I struggled a lot in the traditional system because I didn't come from structure. I didn't come from a household that had rules and did all these things and you act, at, had to act a certain way. You could order whatever you want at dinner. We didn't have that. But it seems like this structure that you're talking about compared to the structure in class is the downside of some of the traditional martial arts. Be <laughs> because, because to me, um, 
the the strictness of training in the in the class itself, where you have to just do what you're told, and that the and in five years the value will be there. Like just doing tenkan, do tenkan, do tenkan, do tenkan. Yeah, it's so abstract. Yeah, it's very abstract. But eventually, you learn that turning and you know getting into a certain position will allow you to do multiple techniques. But not being able to order a certain meal seems at some point maybe potentially abusive. So to, to me, there's, you know, doing Tenkan is not abusive. It may be very abstract. But five, ten years in, all of a sudden you're like, wow, that's, that's one of the differentiators between Aikido and Judo, for example. But not being able to order a meal at dinner, that's not a differentiator. That just sucks. Well, it does suck, but the, you, it develops, you develop a certain edge and sensitivity. Like, I, when you go to dinner, now, when you go to dinner, everybody could order whatever they want. But it, in the old days when you went to dinner, no one ordered anything but water or tea for, for to drink, right? Because you didn't want to be the nail that sticks up. Mm-mm. When you went to dinner, you got to the table, everyone was sat. You would sit, you would order your meal, and not order something crazy or expensive or, expensive or start, you know, playing with the, the server. Oh, what's your name? Da, da, start, you know, flirting with that person. There was none of that. You ordered your meal. And then after the, the, the order was taken and the person walked away, then you could get up and use the restroom and wash your hands because, you know, you just came from class. So your hands right. are all dirty. Then you could do that. But if you left the table before the food was ordered, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. You get it. Uh, big no-no. Well, I think what you so there to me there's some distinctions to be made. I think what you're talking about is that, um, and here's where I think there might be a statement to talk about being a good student. Like the idea of being a good student at dinner is is about following etiquette, and I think what you're describing is following proper etiquette. Proper etiquette is when you get to dinner, you sit down. You you order in, in in you know according to your rank or maybe it's not rank but the teacher orders the students order you don't leave before proper time you order a certain amount in terms of the price appropriate for the the restaurant um, that all seems to me to be proper etiquette but uh, you know being ostracized because you want to eat something healthful for your own constitution that seems to me to be a little bit wonky. Well, but see, again, it's that, it's that. What, what did I say in the beginning? To the the definition of a good student is doing the right thing at the right time, right? Yeah. So sure. expressing yourself. So, like, let's say when you, if, if you just take out the emotional aspect of it, um, Sensei wants to go to the supermarket after we eat. We got we have no time left. We gotta just eat, get this food, eat and go. So then everyone orders ramen, which is really really quick. Not to hold back the group, you order ramen so that everyone can get going. Um, th- that person has a problem uh, with, you know, th- this person has a problem with their weight. So by you getting a salad, it makes them feel bad like they should, and you don't want them to feel bad. You want them to order whatever they want, so you order along the lines with, w- of what everyone else is ordering. It's a sensitivity thing. Like today, I don't really care. But, I, but the thing is, whenever I go to dinner, as the head of the school and we're um, hosting someone, I always have to order the most expensive thing on the menu. And then I say, Bill, you should get the same thing too. So that you don't, within Japanese, they call enyo, 
which is hold back your own feelings. And then I don't, so I get the most expensive steak and I go, you as my guest bill, sure, or the expensive steak too. But the whole time I'm like, I don't want that steak at all. No, I understand. I, I, I do. I understand what you're saying. Um, I, I'm just trying to think in terms of, given the question, how are we communicating something that helps people train as students? Because uh, this is this well, is a tough question. <clears throat> it's a tough question because, again, it's the right thing at the right time. Um, one of the things this person was asking about is about um, how uh, being de being devoted to the art, right? So the younger you start, the more flexibility you have to be less devoted. The older you get, the less less flexibility you have, so you must be more devoted. So if you started Aikido at, on the sixth day of the sixth month of the sixth year, yeah. You started at six years old. You could play around. You could try other things. You could do all the stuff, not be serious. But at a certain point, you must become serious. So if you start an art later on in life, you have to be serious right away because there's no time left. Right. And so if I'm going to do, you know, in, in Japanese, they talk about this idea of Ichiro, one way, one path, one direction. So like uh, the, there were several famous p uh, celebrities, uh, um, sports celebrities that did Aikido in the 1960s. One was Sarudaro O, the other one was the wrestler Jesse. And both of those people were told by, told by their organizations, you can't do Aikido. So like uh, Sarudaro O went and sent his manager to learn Aikido and then tell him the secrets. Yeah. And then he became the 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 home run king of the world. Like he's hit the home, second or first, he's, he's hit the ho most home runs ever. And the same thing with the sumo tori, the sumo wrestler, Jesse. He, like he learned, like there's a famous story of, I think it was Osensei did Nikyo on him. And then when he was, Osensei was doing Nikyo, he grabbed Osensei's hand from the bottom. And then Osensei still like, still dropped him with Nikyo. It's like, but the thing is, is that when he was doing Aikido, the sumo organization came to him and said, you can't do that. And then they made him stop. Or like, for instance, my in my own life, like I do acupuncture as well. My own acupuncture teacher just went, oh, David, he's just an Aikido teacher and just, just dismissed me. And I was like, what? Well, and then I'm not really thought of as a serious student because I do more than one thing. Hmm. So it's that devotional aspect where you say like, I want to learn Aikido or Yaido or Kendo or Judo so badly, I will give up these other things i will forego this thing and most people don't know how to do that especially in the west you know for you know we're having these right now we're having we have this vaccine mandate there's a bunch of students that quit how badly do you want to learn this art that you'll forego some comfort something and sacrifice in order to become good especially as you get older you, you know, there's there's people that are hovering around the outside of the, Aiki, of the dojo saying, I'm going to come back to Aikido. I've been gone for 20 years, but I'm going to come back and teach. That was 20 years ago, man. Yeah. Like, you, you can't just come back to it. These skills are perishable. Mm -hmm. So if they're perishable, you have no time to learn them. You have to try to be as devoted as you can. So if the sensei says nobody here can have blue hair, you go, hi. Yeah. On the other hand, we've been very lucky, I think, especially in the last 12 to 13 years, we have two or three students that are started either in their late 50s or even in their 60s 
that are, I mean, I, I'm still marvel at this, that in their dedication that they've gotten their black belt in their 60s. We've got another student who started in their late 60s. And I marvel at, I mean, I've been thinking about this question since we talked about doing it. I think that to be a student of traditional martial arts and start in your 60s requires a level of open-mindedness and humility and commitment that I think almost 99% of, you have to be a one percenter to, yeah, to do that. Yeah, you don't, by the time you came back, came to traditional training, you were either too old, too physically unfit, or had some other underlying thing which disables you from following this path. Yeah, I or mean, intolerant. Because I as mean, I get older, I get less tolerant of a lot of things. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I mean, to, to be, like, to, to start martial art, to start this martial art in this school at 65, you have to be, you, yeah, like I said, you have to be a one percenter. You have you, to be the best of the best. Yeah, you have to be the best of the best. to be, And, you know, I just feel in awe of those several individuals that we have in our school, and I think we're lucky as a community to have those students. Right, but if you look at them, right, and you kind of dissected their personalities, who they are, you would see certain aspects about their personality which makes them good. Yeah. They're pretty accomplished individuals as well, so they yeah, come from a lives. track record. But if you look at them and you talk to them, you think, wow. That person's such a good person. Oh, no wonder they're a good student. Mm -hmm. Right. That person regularly, you know, like, it's not that big a deal to buy a case of water for the dojo. But what happens is that most people go, you know, you're out of water, right? Or they don't say anything, and then they just complain, you know, we've been out of water for like three months. Right, instead of just taking care of it. Or just telling the proper person, hey, man, you know, we're out of water. Oh, let me get that. We're not right. withholding water to be cheap or anything like that or, or or to be willful as part of your training. It's just people are busy. Right. So you have one student that will just go get the, a case of water and donate the three ninety nine to the dojo. You have another student that will don't that will get a case of water and charge the three the three ninety nine. And then you have another student that will just complain the whole time. So which one is the good student? They all can be good students, but the other one goes thinks of other people mike is really busy he's got this job he doesn't have time to go get water you know i go to the supermarket once a week it's not that big a deal i'll get it right some people don't even think about it they just bring in the case and leave it they don't we don't even know who did it right those are good students because they're doing the right thing at the right time it's not that the person who complains is a bad student it's just that is that the most appropriate thing at the moment to say we've been out of water for three months and then I go three months, and then I talk to this guy, and he's like, no, it's been a week. So that person, not only that person exaggerate, try to get this other person in trouble, they just made trouble. Yeah. Right? And so it's like, can't you just get the case of water yourself? Can't you just bring your own bottle? What, you know, what, this is not a money-making entity. We're not here to make money off bottles of water, right? Yeah. So, But it's that type of thing which causes you to think, is that person a good student? Because they, all they chose was in that moment, they chose themselves. I want to be heard. So I'm going to go make a stink to Sensei about the lack of bottled water in the refrigerator, and then I'm going to exaggerate the story and then get everybody in a fervor over bottles of water when really I could have just gotten the water. But you know what? The thing is, I wanted him to talk to me. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, the, the thing that I keep sticking on, because I, I mean, I've been thinking about interviewing one of these students, is... Um, because I don't know, I don't know exactly what it is to be 
a student. I mean, part of me feels like to be a student is is just to to come and show up, and then you're on the path. And everyone everyone is at a different like if the path is a number line, everyone's on a different part yeah, of the number line. That's true. And once you once you <clears throat> the first time you show up, you're on the path. You're a student, and and being good is just is just sort of a relative definition of where you are on the path. If you're eighth on, you're just farther down the line, but you're still like oh, Sensei's the original teacher, I guess, in some sense. And everyone in, in our lineage, yeah, in our lineage, right? Oh, Sensei's the top, and everyone's a student uh, of Oh Sensei in some sense, even a spiritual sense. If the Oh Sensei's passed away, um, but I think what I keep coming back to about these very uh, inspiring uh, older students is what allows us to do traditional martial arts is a certain humility. Like in the, in the old days, because the three of us kind of reminisce about this, to be able to go through the gauntlet of being beat up, it created a certain humility. You had to fight back, but it, it beat into you a certain humility because you, you went through that gauntlet for years, fewer years for you maybe, but still it was, it was a couple of years. And I think to start this martial art at 50 or 60 or 65, you have to have a certain inner strength as a person. Well, and also you have to have let go of some stuff. That's right? a good so point. That's a good point. The thing point. about the, the problem with, with the first sensei's old method is that sometimes it breaks you. And when for you, some people. For a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And then when you become broken, you can't mm -hmm. make you can't move forward anymore. Right. You hit you hit a plateau and you don't have the the skills, knowledge, experience or whatever it is to move forward. Right. So, you know, in the beginning we you, everyone beats the beats the hell out of each other because it's all physical. But the reason why it uh, Aikido is a budo, right? Is that at some point, you must leave the physical. You have to put, you right. learn how to, uh, I think the, the process goes, this, you learn to become one with the sword, you learn the sword becomes one with you, and then you learn how to put down the sword. Right. Right, but most people cannot put that sword <clears throat> down. One student <clears throat> left because it wasn't, we weren't real enough here, and that he wanted, us to, he wanted us to go to the next level. And I was like, man, you're the guy we break all the time. Right. You're the guy who's always out injured. But he wants it to be real. He wants it to be real because something inside of him says, I feel this way right. and I need to feel a different way. And being able to throttle people is going to help me. No, it doesn't going to help you. Right. Well, you can't fight people because they're not wearing a mask in Trader Joe's. Right. You can. But that's a super <laughs> empty victory. Right. You beat them up. You went to jail. But you know what? They're going to wear a mask every time they go to Trader Joe's or not. Right. But that's that thing. So the physicalness... You you have to you have to leave it behind at some point in your training. So you think so? So for you, um, the, it's changed in our dojo now, and there's a benefit to that change. And the students coming through our process now um, have a, a different and let's say a, a better path that allows them to. Um, Adapt. Maybe not better is not the right word. Different. I'm not sure if that's true. I don't know. I hope that it's true. 
But the thing is, is that when Sensei says, you have blue hair, um, don't come back on Monday with that blue hair. Right? He, he told that. this guy that, right? And then the guy quit. Right. He's, we have to, first he has to explore whether he's asking that person to cut their hair, dye their hair a different color for their own reasons or for training. Right. You know, you that person is a distraction, that person is this, whatever the reason is, right? But then the thing about it is that, in, so like, you know, like we talked about the vaccine mandate that came out. Right. If I'm pretty sure, maybe you, you guys have weigh in on this, that if Fruit Sensei were alive, this would be a 100% vaccinated dojo. There would be no, there would be no, oh, uh, you could still get your 72-hour positive. He would say, no. Yeah, he'd be pretty he'd be dogmatic like, oh, you don't want it. You don't want to conform? Leave. Yeah. And people would be like, but, but, but. And then you would go home and your two, your two choices would be vaccine or vaccine and stay or leave and go someplace else yeah and he and i don't know i i would imagine he would lose a a wink of sleep but i don't know if he would yeah right and so you like you know like i said when they said oh you got to stop lifting weights and then the whole table just you know vomited their their opinions on me i just went like okay okay but and then you, I just stopped lifting weights. You know what's interesting, Sensei, and maybe, Mike, you have an opinion on this. I feel like what's one of the maybe distinguishing factors of the ancien regime and, and the present regime, if you look at the group of students that we have now, I, I find it interesting and good that we have such a diverse student body it's very different than the past. I mean, we have people who are artists. We have people from really different backgrounds. We have, you know, we have an, we have a Japanese Asian contingent, but we have people who, um, you know, we do have people with some uh, the dye-haired c- contingent um, that might not have fit in before, and it seems to me that we have a much more diverse group than we would have ever had. I think people feel comfortable. But that's the thing. Is diversity the thing that we should that we should be searching for? I'm not. I'm not saying that diversity. I don't is know not, that we searched well, for it. I think no, we, people no, but, just felt comfortable coming here. What I'm here. saying is that you. It's it in Japanese society. It's a homogeneous thing. Right, so, but I think that for us, and this, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I, I just want to kind of hit this point, which is maybe. We evolved a little bit in the sense that Aikido really is for everybody. Uh, right. But you know the thing is? We won't know until the end if I'm right or if I am wrong. Right, sure. Absolutely. And the hardest place to be in is when you get to the end and you go, oh, no real students? I didn't develop anyone of, of stature? That's the way love goes. You know, and that that's the hardest part is that you have all these famous teachers, but th- they may have famous former famous students but none of them are really great teachers i i think i i totally i i get what you're saying but but one thing that i think we should be considering is um there's 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 multiple criterion in terms of what we're developing because there's there's the old faria sense which is i think what you're talking about which is are we developing strong Aikidoists that can carry the dojo into the future, which are high-level practitioners, both at the physical level and the um, spiritual level. 
But there's another sense in which I think you can judge our success, which is how many people have been touched by Aikido and on, you know, there's there's this young student in our in the one of my classes who you and I have talked about this that um, she she wanted to potentially lob in a question about uh, how to integrate uh, the aggressiveness of certain Aikido techniques with Aikido philosophy and um, I don't want to get into that in this podcast but what I think was interesting about it is people who come to our classes are actively thinking about the message of Aikido. And that's another level of which to judge your legacy is that people really actively think about the difference of Aikido. Well, I, I think that's probably, that is definitely true. And I don't think about my legacy. I just go, well, that's just the way it's going to go. Yeah. It's more fatalistic. But what I do wonder is the quality of the student. When I, okay, you know, like a Watanabe Sensei got his black belt in two years. I got my black belt in little less, little less than four, like three and change. Everyone at our level in that our time was getting their black belts within five years, before five years, like three to four years. Yeah. Today, most people are getting their black belts five to ten years. Yeah. So when I look at the students, like I don't know if the if my teaching is better. I don't know if um, less discipline is more is is better. I don't know if diversity is better. I don't know. But we, what we're talking about in this podcast is the student and the mindset of the student. Every student will have had questions then and now. Yeah. But d does your question prevent you from training? Does your question, you know, hamper? You know, like the the two uh, the the two ranks in which people quit the most in Aikido are third, third Q, Q and third Don. Yeah. So what happens is that at both times they have the same crisis of faith. I don't know if I should be here. I don't know if this is going to be working. I don't know if Aikido's real, whatever it is. But it always happens somewhere around third Q and somewhere around third, third dawn. And one of the things that happens when you're second dawn is you want to make Aikido effective. You want to make, make sure that you're effective, that you're you're able. And then so that's when that's why third dawn you're like, I don't even understand this, and then you just quit, <laughs> right? Because now now I'm now I'm asking you to. Before, I'm telling you not to think, and now I'm telling you to think. Right. So in the shoe stage, no thinking. Ha stage, more thinking. Re stage, lots of thinking. Right. Right. So now you need to know why your hand has to be this way at the ha stage and re stage. You have to know how these these techniques are linked together. You know, like Watanabe and Sensei and I were having a Katex conversation for like two hours yesterday. We should have just got on the phone. He was, he was at the optometrist talking about Yonkyo. Because we're going to film Yonkyo this weekend. And I was like, hey, what about this thing? Well, it's kind of like this. Did Sensei ever say anything about this? He's like, well, Sensei only said these two things about Yonkyo. And I was like, oh, I never heard that. Oh, that makes an interesting point. So maybe it's not about this. And then we were just, you know, discussing this technique over text. But he's sixth on, I'm fifth on. We both have over 30 years of Aikido training. Right. Right. And so now's the time to have those questions. Why do you do the thing you do the way you do it? But when you're starting out, you, why do I do this? Why do I do that? How right. do I do this? Some of that in the, in the beginning of the beginning stages is to struggle. Right. Oh, uh, uh, you know, uh, Furio Sensei said I can't lift weights. The only reason why I was lifting weights is not because I wanted to look better. 
I was lifting weights to get as strong as I possibly could right. to counter to counter these guys beating me up every day. And it, and it got to the point where my cardio was so strong, they would get tired of beating me up. Right. <laughs> and I'd be like, is that all? You're you know? sitting there just like, and they're like, <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, and then any of them ever quit and then came back, you know, I would whisper in their ear, you're not a has-been, you're a never-was-been, as I'm like destroying them. <laughs> but, you know, that's just being a little punk, right? But like the point is, is that, you know, they said you can't lift weights. And I was like, darn it. So I stopped lifting weights. And then I started to think, okay, what else can I do? You know, how else? But mind you, I already trained three to seven days a week. And I also trained at home by myself. I did a ton of home training, yeah. even though that was totally frowned upon. So I did a ton of, but I mean, it's how badly do you want to learn this thing? And what are you willing to sacrifice to get it? And then once you do those things, you have to do the right thing at the right time, right? So if I tell you um, lifting weights is bad for Aikido, you have to decide whether you should lift weights or not. If I say that, um, you know, you can't, you can't um, go to the bathroom before we order food, you have to think, you know, why is he telling me this? These things are, are generally not done to oppress you. They're there to help improve you faster. I mean, when I stopped yeah. lifting weights, my Aikido improved immensely because before I was all blocky like this, and then now I just started to move. And it's funny because we would get these like Japanese teachers that would come through, and like they always like when after class and we're folding our hakamas or getting ready to go home, they would always come up to me and like grab my arm and be like, "Oh, you're so big! Oh, what, what is your weightlifting routine?" And I, I, I go even today. I go. I don't do. I don't do any weights, you know. But, <clears throat> but that's the thing is that, what are you willing to do to get good? And then the best student does the right thing at the right time. Yeah, it's and and learning learning how to do the, learning how to do the right thing at the right time, in a traditional martial art, is. You know, from my experience and from, you know, in this dojo is an iterative process. Yeah. You have to just do it over and over and over again. You have to observe. I think the key term you just said is observation. And I think that observation skill peels back many other layers of that onion because it's going to allow you to see, like you're talking about, see, and then just immediately be able to do but i think that part of that skill level that you learn in the beginning is going to uh, pay dividends down the road be able to just observe and to observe you have to close this and open these so well, to speak and, that, and that's why in the beginning stage it's all rote and you have to learn to do whatever they tell you to do if they tell you to stop lifting weights and you go okay well i, I want to get good i stop lifting weights but you stop lifting weights to realize a certain thing so, for instance, one of the students who's older and has a shoulder injury asked me if she should be lifting weights. And I said, yeah, you should lift weights because that person is injured, has a shoulder problem, is older. So weightlifting would benefit him. And, you know, he's not like trying to get all buff, you know, for the beach. So weightlifting to that person should, would probably benefit them. Right. Right. But the point is, is that like some guy who's 20 years old and just doing a whole bunch of bench press to look good for the chicks – that type of weightlifting doesn't work for Aikido. Right. Right. So it's a different type of thing. Right. And so, or like, you know, one student's a fitness trainer. 
So they have to kind of look the part. So those things all have their balance. Right. You have to sacrifice some things to get another thing. I think there's <coughs> another there's another component to this. There's like from my perspective as a student, a student and a teacher, is that if you're if you're when you're upcoming as a student, observation, the iterative process for learning how to do the right thing at the right time is primarily observation. But there's built into the traditional structure. If you need to ask a question, you can ask your without going to the teacher. You can go to your seniors. Yeah, you're supposed to. You're yes. supposed to go to your seniors. So if we're trying to educate the student on this podcast, we we, sh- we're, we would fail them if we don't tell them that you you're the que- if you want to ask the question, it's it's okay and it's it's the proper thing to do to ask your senior. You know, if you have a question and you're, you're about to make a mistake, you know, you should ask your senior, like, hey, I don't know, should I, do I bow here at this time? Or if I'm doing cleanup, do I do it this way? And then that way, by asking the question, you don't make a mistake that's easily, uh, you know, fixed. Well, that's what it's supposed to be. But if you have a weak senior, you have weak seniors in the middle, that's where it all falls apart, right? And so the, the seniors are the people that set the culture, they're the people that set the tone for everything. You you don't know what to do. You follow the person in front of you. Set the, they set the example that you, yeah. you follow. Right. But if that person in front of you is not setting the proper example, then the, the whole thing yeah. falls and apart. That's, and the, for the seniors, they've, they've got to be smart enough to know to ask the teacher because it's sort of their responsibility. To, well, they have to ask each other. The seniors have to work together and ask each other. And then when they don't know, they have to have enough humility to, to swallow their fear to ask the teacher and say, uh, I, you know, I don't know. And then they may, they may get in trouble. Yeah, but that's the thing. Most seniors don't. Yeah. Very few seniors will come up to me and say, hey, did you mean this thing? Right. When you told me that thing? No, I meant this. Oh, okay. Right. But what ends up happening is they just do it and I go, what the hell and are you doing? And then you make a mistake. And then they go, I thought you meant this, yeah. but I didn't. I was too afraid to ask. Right. And then so this whole thing's totally messed up. Right. But that's but but talking about it for the benefit of the students, that's kind of how the the structure works. There's sort of observation, observational uh, structure and success, and then you have bottom, middle, 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 upper, middle, top. Um, and that's kind of the traditional system, right? Right. Because a beginning student doesn't understand the lion's den that's at the top. Right. <laughs> and that you don't yeah. go in the lion's den. You leave that to the seniors. Let them take one well, for the team. The, <laughs> the, and, and we still have it here with the door. But I remember in, in uh, the old Furia Dojo, like that door, like if, if you, when you were coming to the, ch- the change room, if your bag even rattled the door, oh my God. Yeah. yeah, you can feel the heat coming off that door. You don't want to touch it or <laughs> get in near it. <laughs> so, you know, that's what it really comes down to, right? This idea of of how badly do you want to learn this thing and what are you willing to do? Right. You know, and the reason why this, there's this two sides of the same coin is that there's a certain level of sacrifice. You sacrifice certain things to get a certain thing. And then there's doing the right thing at the right time. So the sacrifice is that... I don't order what I want because it messes up the, the group dynamics and all these different things. So I sacrifice that. But I by not ordering the wrong thing, I do the right thing so to not mess up the dynamic, right? So that's the hard part about when we, we do certain things where, you know, <clears throat> sometimes when I go visit a dojo in another country or something like that, I can't eat anything that I want 
because I'm the person that's going to be teaching all these classes. So I can't just eat anything I want. So the students have to know that. Right. And so because I have to sacrifice, those students sacrifice. But what ends up happening, like, we're going to pizza. And I go, I can't eat pizza. <laughs> right. Or like, who, who wants ice cream? And I go, I don't eat ice cream. Right. But that's that hard part that people have to know what if, if that if you're going to sacrifice, the right thing would be for me to come and help you. Right. So then you right. have that sacrifice and the right thing. So those things are paired. The sacrifice of of what it takes to be to do traditional training and be a traditional student and doing the right thing at the right time. Should you lift weights? Should you not lift weights? Should you um you know, like in the old days, like you, in this cur current Yaido administration, we, everyone were, has to have the same sword, same colors, same everything. In Fruisensei's day, it not only what <clears throat> it was, everyone had to set the same length of sword. So everyone had a 28, which is really, really short. One time, this, this student who's like almost seven feet came and said, oh, yeah, I want to sell you this sword that Fruisensei bought for me when I was a student. I was like, ooh, this thing's going to be long. I get it out, it's 28 inches. And I was like, what the heck? That's because everybody in that day or used a, a sword that was 28 inches regardless of their height or weight, right? <clears throat> but then that's that thing, right? Like the right thing at the right time is for you to use the, that sword. But later on, and you sacrifice by using a shorter sword. But later on, you could express yourself and buy a longer, heavier, right. whatever sword. But in the beginning, it's best for your training to do these certain things. And right. so you sacrifice certain things. I don't get to go to Monday Night Football because uh, I have to come to the second half because I go to the dojo first. That's okay. I mean, you sacrifice this to get this. But what happens is some people go, I wanted to go to Monday Night Football and then do Sensei won't let me. And then they quit because, you know, he won't let me do what I want. No, you said you wanted to be good. In order to get good, these are the things you have to do. Right. And if you don't want to do those things, how are you going to do the right thing at the right time? And how are you going to get good? Especially if you're starting uh, Aikido at 51 years old. And then the, the sensei tells you, you probably should stop doing Krav Maga, BJJ, um, Tai Chi's on Saturday, and all these different things. Because there's just no time for there's all no that. There's no time. If you want to get good, you have to pour everything you got into getting good at Aikido. That's it. But then today we go, sure, you should probably go on vacation. You should probably lift some weights. Do whatever you want. Because... I don't have the, I don't have the fortitude to go. You don't want to get vaccinated? Hamon, get out. I don't have it. I go okay. Well, let me see what I can do for you. Yeah. I'm trying to be more inclusive, but in the old days, I, I'm pretty sure Free Sensei would be like, this is a 100% vaccinated dojo. If you're not vaccinated, get out. Well, but I have a, I'm allergic to the. Then you need to leave. And if that, he would see stuff like, oh, then you need to leave and you should go focus on that thing and, and, and getting better. And then you could probably come back. Yeah. And you're like, damn. Oh, there's, you're allergic to something in the vaccine. Well, that's all. It sounds like something you should probably, you know, get your health back and, and get in better shape before you come back. So you should probably just leave and then walk away. And you're all, huh? Yeah, you know, I, there's there's definitely some things from the past that uh, might have been stricter. Oh yeah, whole lot, dude. This I don't even know what it would have been like for Free Sensei to be alive during this pandemic. It would have been awful. We will probably all had to train during the pandemic, all all masked and gloved up. 
we would have to be bringing sensei's meals in breakfast lunch and dinner see that's the part that it's it's <clears throat> it's, it's the supplemental part that would have been because he he was, he got stressed and upset a lot so you can imagine put him under like this worldwide health crisis oh yeah like i mean the, no there, it would, been there would be no i'm not going to pay my dues anymore he'd be like you can get out never come back yeah and you're like what oh i'll pay my dues there would have been like 99% of the people still paying their dues if Sensei was still alive. There would have been no, well, you know, the pandemic and I have this problem and be like, that's okay. Then obviously, traditional training is not for you. Sensei would, Sensei would have said this whole thing, which is obviously Aikido is not for you. And then slam the door. I think when we talk about these aspects of Furu Sensei, when I try to distill from all of this, you know, and maybe Mike has an opinion on this too, what 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 it is that Furia Sensei is doing and whether we want to continue that in a different form comes down to the, the student who can live through those experiences is demonstrating a certain quality. And I think that the quality is that to do this type of martial art requires a different level of commitment than you would have in certain other activities. Um, and, and in certain Western disciplines require high-level commitment too. But it's just that this was Furia Sensei's way of signaling to people, look, if you want to do this, this is a difficult endeavor. And I'm trying to help you focus and understand that c commitment is required for this path. And I think that's what he was trying to get at. I think so. It, it wasn't a pleasant way of signaling that, but, no. but what he was saying was, look, this is hard. This is difficult. It's going to pay off for you, but you're going to have to like walk 10,000 miles in bare feet over glass. And, and, and that's kind of what he was saying. Well, when you try to explain to people outside the dojo about Furuya Sensei, and it, they would either think you're lying or they thought that was the craziest stuff ever, right? It, but it was, I, but I think, I, but I do because really they couldn't fathom that right. level. But I'm trying to figure out, like, we're, you know, when we're, we're we're asked, like, what is it? What does this mean about being a student? I really think that, like, for the three of us, like, have a job to to translate what what these experiences mean for students that don't have this experience, or for students that are considering a martial art, traditional martial art, I think what this means is it means commitment. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're, well, I mean, that's what we're saying. Is this, it's, it is commitment, but it's that you have, in order to commit, like I said, like it's Monday Night Football, you know, the Raiders are playing the Packers, whatever the deal is, Every, all your buddies are going to be there, and you got to go to class. Yeah. Can you choose training and missing the first half over going there and getting there for the pregame? Well, I get to watch all my friends on Facebook out playing golf on the weekends, and I don't ever get to do Mike, that. Which, which, which podcast did we do where we talked about um, desensitization? Less, that, that, yeah, the stress inoculation. Stress yeah, because I was thinking about, you know, we're talking about this is signaling commitment, but it's also like... Um, the the student who can go through these difficult and negative experiences gets a, a, a learns and develops an, uh, uh, 
a desensitization so that they they gain like a superpower well and then all but then by doing that you're testing them and, and not i don't i do i am not testing you guys but in some of its it's on a certain level it's a test right if i if for instance it says oh you got to stop lifting weights and you go hi and you stop lifting weights you go oh that person's a good student right thing at the right time right if I go no, or if you come over my, you know, and a year later I'm even bigger than I was, and they go, "Do you stop lifting weights?" Nah. You go, "Oh, that person doesn't really want to learn." Right. Right. They, but that's the hard part. If, you, like, you know, everyone says I'm super willful, but I'm not. I I am very willful, but I in the I'm also very accommodating. If you say, "Oh, please don't lift weights," I'm say, "Oh, okay, I won't do it." But if you say you shouldn't lift weights, I go, "Yeah." watch me you know (laughs) but that's the hard part that you know to get adherence right it's all it's being a student it's about adherence you want to get this thing called ishin deshin the the, you and the teacher have one mind the teacher looks you just punch that person in the the, next to you in the face and then they go why did you do that and you go i don't know since he gave me the look and then i then you asked me why did you have me put he had a knife so is that because I, I I've been sitting here trying to think this through this whole podcast Ishin Deshin, is if 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 the student after this podcast, you know, is trying to write things down and figure out like what they need to do, to, you know, come to the next class, and and feel energized and excited about class, uh, like what would be like the one takeaway that we'd want the students to have and this Ishin Deshin seems like maybe that's a good thing to have as, the, as a takeaway. It's, but that's, it's a takeaway, but it's almost impossible. You, you know, you guys should know as you spend time traveling with me. So, but that's the thing, if we think about it as being an Ishin Deshin thing, that's a very hard thing to grasp. Right. Because you have to spend so much time with the teacher that you know what when the teacher want. wants at that moment. So, if you watch like this uh, documentary on Shintaru, uh, the guy who played... Um, the Blind Swordsman, what was that, uh, Zatoichi, he talks about in that documentary about how he's training these young actors that when this, his hand comes up, the cigarette has to be in there lit. You can't wait. And then if you wait, then he, he, he gets all mad at you because you're trying to like develop this sense of timing, right. connection, and all these things that you know. Oh, like, oh, the you know, um, you're flying with me, and they go, oh, yeah, um, Ito Sensei will want this on the flight as opposed to just bringing up hey or like you know what one of my assistants did one time and he said do you want something to drink from starbucks and i said yeah give me some he didn't know which one to bring so he brought the ice green t- i said green tea just get me a you know green tea latte he forgot to ask hot cold or cold or hot. so he brings a hot one and a cold one and just reaches it out and then i just looked i'm all oh clever and then took the one i wanted and i go next time you should just you should next time you should ask but you should just remember Oh, he doesn't. He'd probably want this. You'd probably want that, right? But that's the thing is that like they say the the best teacher is the teacher which is the most unreasonable. Mm. You can't reason with them. Oh, but sensei, this is his thing. Oh, you um the reason why you don't. Oh, the reason why I do don't do tenkan right is because of my. Oh, the, they don't want to hear nah, it. They don't want to hear it. They're unreasonable. They go, I don't care. Yeah. Do it this way, and that's where it's a hard part is to to show your earnestness. You have to listen. And then that's where the teacher can change your technique this much. One one degree, and then your technique is improved. Right. As opposed to explaining it to you, explaining it to you, explaining it to you, to turn your wrist over, and you go, I don't get what he's saying. 
because you you were not in ishin deshin with your teacher. That they, like remember I was telling the story about how I don't know my left from left from right. Yes. Yeah. And then she goes, Sensei would say, step back with your left foot, and then my I would immediately step back, but I don't know my left from right. But it's just that we're so connected, I would imagine that, or I'm so afraid that when he says step back with your left foot, I automatically know which foot he's talking about. So is is a key point here that we're talking about is developing that level of sensitivity yeah. that ingrains into so many other things. Right. And so when we go going back to this idea of ordering food, right, that you are scolded because of the things you order, but then you become sensitive to it. So when you go with, you go to your potential in-laws house for dinner or you go out to dinner with your potential in-laws, you're not ordering the steak when everyone is a vegetarian. Or you go you ask this girl on a date and you're like, "Yeah, let's go on a date." And you take her on a date and you take her to the best steakhouse in the in town and she's a vegetarian. And you, oh, oh, so sorry. this would lead into a martial sense where you're walking down the street and like that guy over there is Yeah, across the street. Yeah, you know, I, like you sense it right away because your sensitivity level mm-hmm. so dialed in. It's like, hmm, right away. Yeah, you you would know that you're about to be attacked because you have the sensitivity, or you know that the teacher is not in their best shape because they're sick or something, and so you step in front. Isn't there an old story that the sword master? He's sitting there. His attendant has a sword. He's holding it, and the the attendant's going, "You know what? Uh, yeah, I, I know can, this story. I, I can probably." <clears throat> He doesn't have a sword. I have a sword. I can probably attack him right now. And all of a sudden, the teacher's like, like felt this uneasy feeling, like he's about to be attacked. Yeah, famous Japanese And then he's story. like, he goes, you know, and he talks later. He goes, yeah, I felt like I was gonna be attacked. He goes, well, I was just thinking about, you know, what it, what the my possibilities would be in attacking. And so all of a sudden, he's like, okay, my senses were correct. I did sense an attack. Yeah, that was a Yagyu of Yagyu Shinkai. But that's a thing, right? Like you can't develop that sensitivity within yourself. If you haven't trained to do it. Right. And so that's where the teacher yells at you and does all these things. So like think about this idea of making clay, right? So I read all these books on traditional learning. And one of the stories is about this person had to make clay for as a potter. And so the teacher was so meticulous and was like yelling at him every day. Oh, you did it wrong. And all these different things that he spent all this time learning about clay. And then what ended up happening is that at the end of that, um, like at the end of learning how to make clay, he got upset and quit and then went to a different potter. And then the potter was like, oh man, and that person's pottering became really good because he's like, oh man, this student's so good, knows how to make really good clay. But then that person in that article couldn't understand, couldn't, you know, um, add up, oh, that person, the beginnings of getting good is to making this clay. And then the person was so strict on me that I had to make the clay perfect. But now that I left this person and went to this other person, they're like, oh, my God, this guy's so good. He makes the best clay. But they never talked about how good that person's art is. He just said he makes very good clay. Hmm. Right? But that's that thing. that The teacher's trying to develop your ability to learn, your sensitivity, and all these different things. And they do certain things to you. And then you have to learn to obey, not because you're their you're their slave or subordinate or servant, but that you're trying to learn something so intricate that when you look at someone, you'll know their intention. Oh, that person's right. going to attack. Because you've learned to feel the teacher the whole time and going like, oh, sensei's mad today. So the teacher becomes your opponent, so to speak, in, traditional, in order to hone you. In traditional you. learning, the old ways of the samurai or stuff like that, the, the, the teacher was always your opponent. So there's, you know, the Ito 
uh, Itoryu uh, swordsmanship. The second, the heads, the head, he had the two head students fight to the death. The second in command killed the the the, the first in command, and then went on to become the head student, and then killed the teacher. Mm -hmm. Right, but it's that thing where like you you. That's why one of the reasons why um, fathers are never teachers to their children, because you have to create that animosity that it's not you, it's it's Mike, and then they hate Mike, and then you come in after they become good, and then you fine tune them. Mm -hmm. But that that animosity from the teacher to the student that you create, it probably has nothing to do with me lifting weights or ordering. Um, chicken it's about creating that that animosity where i was like you know what i'm going to beat you hmm. right so they they're going to make me do this i'm going to beat them i'm going to beat them at it and then you try to beat them and then by trying to beat them you learn to get good and then later on hopefully you you kind of um mend the relationship and then you guys can become friends again or something but generally it's not like that generally right. you leave and you hate the teacher and the teacher hates you but you're really good yeah. Right. You know, and that <clears throat> if you want to see di different types of a uh, different type of um, traditional learning, watch Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Oh, yeah. It's he a great, great movie. He talks about, uh, oh, yeah, when the student gets to a certain level, they're ki I kick them out and they can never come back. And I tell them never to, never to contact me. They're on their own now. And then life is their teacher. And then one of the people that they interviewed, he said, oh, yeah, I haven't seen my teacher in like eight years. I still never sleep with my feet pointed in his direction. It's like a, that's like a respect thing, <clears throat> you, you know. And so, you think that was so long ago, but aren't you the master now? But then you talk about this whole idea of being the student and being becoming the master, and it's such a different, difficult um, thing trek. to understand. Yeah. But that's the thing is that like the teacher slaps you. Sometimes they slap you because they're just being mean. Sometimes they slap you because you did something wrong, but sometimes they slap you to wake you up. Right. But then you don't know the reason why they slap you. So you spend time thinking about all three or four reasons why you would get slapped. But then in the end, you realize the slap was for you and it helped you jog your memory, not act that way and, and do certain things. Isn't this, isn't that style of slap a, um, a Zen, a Zen technique or isn't it derived from Zen could techniques? Be, could be. We don't know because we just, we don't know. Is it, is it because you're having a bad day that you slapped the person? Is it they really made a mistake they needed to be slapped? Or were, were you trying to help them by slapping <laughs> them? I don't really know, right? Is I'm, I am the poster child for having a mean, strict, unreasonable teacher. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can tell a story. I mean, I can tell you a story. I remember I was probably like third or third or second queue. And I was, I was, I was in law school at the time. And so I was coming to training like almost every day, pretty close to every day, and because uh, it was very close uh, to the old dojo. And I was dating Dana Anderson. You may remember Dana. I do remember Dana. Um, and uh, I had convinced her to come watch practice. And first sensei was not teaching class. I think Ken was teaching class, but um, I think he must have heard. You know, when she walked in the dojo before class, I told her, you know, have a seat on the blue mats, and he must have heard that she was in the dojo. And um, he called me up, and he's like, Bill, come up here. And I, I, he called me up there, and he excoriated me. I mean, he screamed at me for like 
15 minutes like dressed me down uh, to this day i don't even remember what he said but i mean i i walked into that dojo like this tall i left like this tall you know i i was 20 minutes late to class and i got into class i kind of did the, my thing changed out dana's like what did you do wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but but the whole point was, I think, is like, since they didn't want me to like go out in class and like beat people up and look all badass for my girlfriend, he's he's like, you're gonna you're gonna be like like little junior, you know. It was I think it was like, don't let your ego get big. Um, it was really interesting because you know I I was you know I was always doing work for the dojo. But like that incident, he didn't assign me anything. He just literally yelled at me for twenty minutes. <laughs> I mean, you know, I have stories like that too, where you know, you <laughs> sensei does something to you, which is supposed to help you in some way, but it's really just like this painful story that you now look back and laugh a little right. bit. I, I laugh now. Yeah, but then you you. It, but that's the hard part. Was it there to help you? Was it there to hurt you? You know, like one time Sensei and I, we had a visitor come and we took the visitor. The, the person took the class and he did all these crazy things and tried to like totally rough me up. And after the class, we took the person to lunch and then we drove them across town to their hotel. On the way back, Sensei goes, what do you think of this person's Aikido? And oh, I'm driving no. the car. And oh, I just, here we go. And I just went, oh, that's fine. He's pretty good. So he goes, no, what do you really think? I go, oh, he's all right. He goes, no. And he said, <laughs> no. no, tell me what you really think. And I go, oh, my God. He sucks. He, this, he needs this, this, this. He should be doing this. He should be doing that. Da, 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 the same thing. And, he, and then Sensei just looks at me and goes, you think you know everything. Oh, and he just no. dressed me down for the rest of the car ride home. <laughs> the trap. <laughs> it's totally a trap. <laughs> and I, the whole time I was like, I, why would you ask me these questions if you thought? <laughs> oh, that's the, that is such a trap. Oh, uh, full on. All, but all those things are you 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 fall into these little traps where he perhaps I don't we don't really know the his the impetus but like perhaps he sees some ego in you right because I remember in the class the guy tried to choke me I got out of it he tried to pull some some BJJ he learned on the internet thing on me got out of it you know and did all these things and just worked that person over so maybe he he, he since he watched that and thought oh David thinks he's all that. And so I need to kind of like smash Dress him, him down. down a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, there are several times where like one time Sensei goes, uh, we're starting this dojo in Long Beach. Do you want to be the, te the, the the instructor? And I said, no. Right. And he goes, well, why don't you do this thing? I go, I don't want to. Were you at Cal State Long Beach? Yeah, I was at Cal State yeah, Long Beach at okay. the time. And he was like, why don't you just do you – know, and I go, I don't really want to. He goes, well, why don't you – Get it off the ground, and then we'll bring someone else in to teach. And I go, fine, I'll do that. See, I knew you wanted to teach this whole time. Everybody, trap knew. number two. And I was two. like, what? Dude, he did that same trap to me like three times. Yeah. One time, did he, he said, fall for it every time? Every time. <laughs> <clears throat> one time, he said, "Why don't we? We're going to open up a dojo in Pasadena. I need you to head it up." And I go, "I don't want to." And he goes, "No, I think you." Should. I go, "No," and he goes. <laughs> And he goes, well, how about taking over this dojo? No, I don't really want to. Okay, so we'll just do, do this thing, and then we'll get it off the ground. Oh, okay. See, I knew you wanted to <laughs> that teach. Was, that was the golden trap, right? I mean, anyone that even mentioned that they had a fantasy Angling. of a dojo. Never, ever that. Say was that. the worst thing that you could possibly. Well, it showed your ego, that's why. Right, yeah. You should, you, you're supposed to be picked to, to 
to take over or, or a dojo or start a dojo. You're not supposed to be like, excuse me, sensei, I'd like to be a teacher. Right, no. And then if you said, I want to be a teacher, he was like, let me give you the teacher experience. And that teacher experience, it was traditional. It sucked. Yeah. Mm. You know, you just go, you could, because the entire time you are the nail that is being smashed down. Right. All the time. All the time. And then you think, you know, do you think you know everything? You think you got this ego and you go, uh, no, but I'm, but the thing is that there's all these hidden things that you learned. Cause one of the things I learned was how to speak to someone like that. Right. So I couldn't go in and be like, Hey, um, uh, sensei, be the, um, you know, the guy or, mm, and, right. then I, and then I couldn't lie. I couldn't exaggerate. That guy hasn't, hasn't gotten water in three months. You couldn't say that because when sensei would go, how many months? Because right there he would know you're lying, and then he would key on in on that, right. and then go off on you. Right. So you had to go. You had to be able to speak to someone in a clear, concise way, with no t- attempt to manipulate. And yeah. when you did that, he would be like, oh, "Okay, like this." But if you went there and been like, "Sensei, that guy hasn't gotten water for three months," he would right. just go off on you. Right. And then you spend all this time dressing you down about why is it that guy's job to get the, the water? Why isn't your job? You know what, smart guy? It's your job now. And then right. you go, damn it. Why did I make that? Why did I say it like that? Yeah, and I think in those scenarios, it, it, it comes back to, again, as you said, I think for Sensei expended a lot of effort, not just on on, on inculcating our, our need for uh, commitment, but also... That in a traditional martial art, you know, we talk about hitting the nail on the on the board, but ego um, gets in the way of, of traditional training. Right, and so that's where your ego says, "I need to know." So here's my question. Right, and then the teacher strikes you down. The ego says, "The teacher says to you something," and then the ego the ego goes, "I'm not going to do that." Right. All those things are become obstacles to learning. Right. So. I mean, in my day, our days, you know, we talk about it. There's people that came in and Sensei would say, your hair is kind of getting long. And the person would be like, I know, I'm going to grow my hair out. Sensei would say, no, you're not. Get a haircut before you come back next. Darn it. Or you'd have, you'd have a beard, a goatee. You'd have a weird shirt. You'd have colored hair. One person said, I'm going to get the dojo tattooed, <laughs> the dojo moan tattooed on my body. And Sensei said, no, you're not. No, you're not. If you do that, you're out. And yeah. the, or some person said, I, I mean, you know, there was one time where the student had a really nice Bonneville Triumph and he laid it oh. down and said, I'm going to get, I want to, I'm going to sell it. So he's sitting next to me and Sensei and he's telling me this story and he goes, I'm going to sell it. I go, I'll buy it. Cause it was really nice. I go, I'll buy it. Sensei goes, no, no you're you not. <laughs> you're, you can't buy it and you're not allowed to sell it to him. And I was like, oh, but, what the? Uh, and then the person, of course, didn't sell it to me, and then I couldn't buy it. And I was like, but that's the reason why is because if I were to ride that motorcycle and something were to happen to me, that yeah. would that would jeopardize the collective. Yeah. And so you're not allowed. Even today, the, the other day I was like, hey, I'm going to get a bicycle. And two of the students were like, no, you're not. No. You're not allowed to ride a bicycle mm-hmm. on the street. I go, why? They're too dangerous. And I go, mm. or we were – in Hawaii, at when Doshu came to Hawaii in 2010 or 2011, we went snorkeling, 
And I'm like out there snorkeling. And one of the students told me afterwards, he goes, dude, I was so afraid that something was going to happen to you and you're going way far out there that I, I was just going to tell these guys, let's get out of here because it's too dangerous. And I'm like, we're snorkeling in like 20 feet of water. Yeah. Like, what's going to happen? A shark? But he was like, the whole time, I was like, we shouldn't be doing this. But it's, so it's that same type of thing, right? Yeah. Like doing the right thing at the right time. Yeah, I mean, doing the right thing at the right time ultimately is a very hard, uh, very hard to think of. But I mean, you know, if you think about doing the right thing at the right time, is not just a principle for for Aikido or traditional martial arts. Doing the right thing at the right time is a pervasive principle that um, in success in success for life, in success in your personal life, success in your job. Um, it really is. Uh, something that you you can develop for your entire life, and it's it's something that Aikido is it's a gift, really. Yeah, you can't look at it as a, oppression, you know, from a Western standpoint. It's not oppression. It there is a lesson to be learned from it. Yeah. Well, that you know, as we wrap this thing up, it's about you know, for me, being a, a student and a teacher, traditional training and traditional being a traditional student is about those two things. What are you willing to do to commit to your training? sacrifices, you know, and things like that. And on the same sense, so that you can do the right thing at the right time and be at the right place. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. I think it's, it's, it's something that this question really brought out. Um, and it, it's popped up in some of our other podcasts, but... Uh, not to any depth. Not to, not to this depth. And I think that we... We owe some thanks to Chris for for lobbying this question in and, and giving us the opportunity to discuss it. Yep. So thanks for watching our podcast. Don't forget to like this podcast and subscribe to us on social media. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.